This is the Getsy Health Podcast with Janique and Tristan Roney. Hey, you guys, welcome back to the Gutsy Health Podcast. We're talking about guts today. Yep, we are. Um, and this is actually an episode more geared to people, to our people that are going to be doing the gut healing protocol. And so it's kind of like class one, but However, we, we are releasing this as a podcast episode because I think everyone can actually benefit from this information and should. And so if you live in America or any kind of first world country, you probably need to be checking in right now because we have some issues and it is destroying our guts. That's right. There are so many different uh, issues out there and just about everyone we work with has some sort of gut issue going on, even mm-hmm. if they don't realize it. And this is something that happens quite a bit is people, they, they've got all kinds of symptoms, but they're not tying it back to their digestion. No. Even though when we actually start digging in, we find that, oh, this is a digestive issue for mm-hmm. sure. So mm-hmm. you're going to want to pay attention here. Yes. And this is dense, by the way. We're going to be going into some detail on this stuff. Yeah. So, um, so let's get started with why do we have this issue? I'm, I am just floored. I didn't recognize how many people had digestive issues until I did a survey on Instagram. And, um, and this is a very big pain point for people. How did we get up? Like, how did we end up here in this space? In, in like as a society? Well, just why, why do so many people, (laughs) how did we end up here sitting around a table talking into mics about a podcast? Um, no, how, how is it that's like, I would say more than half of Americans have pretty severe digestive issues and are on protein pump inhibitors or any kind of digestive aid. By the way, you guys, you shouldn't be on a protein pump inhibitor for more than two weeks. Proton. Oh, proton. Sorry. Proton pump inhibitor, <laughs> a PPI. PPI. I normally call it PPIs. Yeah. A, you shouldn't be on it for more than two weeks. And most people, like some people I've spoken to have been on it for like four plus years. But but the, uh, the acid blockers, the PPIs are a big factor in mm-hmm. the mess that we're in as a society. Yes, And I, I mean, I don't even know where you begin to unravel it because at this point it is so convoluted that knowing where one issue started and the other mm-hmm. one ended is nearly impossible. So, so let's start from the beginning. <laughs> let's, let's talk about symptoms. Okay. How about we talk about that? Um, what, what people actually notice that could be pointing to a digestive thing. I think that's a great starting point. You guys, yeah. if you have heartburn, if you have painful digestion, uh, bloat, gassiness. Um, if you're constipated, if you, or your stool is just too runny. Um, what there, else is yeah. there? Yep. Oh, you know, that, that kind of covers a lot mm-hmm. of it. Sometimes people will get some more rare symptoms like, uh, a sharp pain in their mm-hmm. intestinal region. Um, yeah, that's a big one. If you've had your gallbladder taken out, if you have stools that float, if you are constantly gassy and it's like stinky gassy as well. That indicates like protein digestion issues, halitosis. That's another digestive issue. And yes, we did say if you don't have a gallbladder, you have a digestive issue, period. Period. You, you do not have really good digestion Mm -hmm. without support if you're missing your gallbladder. Exactly. And how many people are missing gallbladder? Raise of hands. So many. Wow, there's a lot of you. (laughs) (laughs) We'll just pretend. (laughs) It's true though. The, they take out gallbladders without thinking too hard about it. Mm-hmm. It's a really simple procedure. It's very um, lucrative yep. and fast. It's an outpatient procedure too. But it so. does have long-term consequences for your digestion and they don't tell you about that. So for instance, if you have your gallbladder out right now, did your doctor tell you that you need to take bile salts for the rest of your life? Or ox bile or, or something. Mm-hmm. Something to help with ways. fat metabolism. Uh, most of you are probably saying, no, my doctor never told me that. And here's the thing is if you're not breaking down fat properly, guess what is not healing and repairing your nerves, your brain, all your organs, all your joints, all your tissues. Did you say hormones? Hormones. Hormones. I didn't say hormones. So let's, let's talk about, well, no, let's not talk about that. Well, before we even (laughs) jump into that, there are symptoms that you may not even notice so part of the issue is that people are so accustomed to bad digestion that they think that's normal digestion. Right. But we aren't meant to have bad digestion. Mm-hmm. Having really slow transit time where it takes you a long time to go from eating food to pooping, not really a normal thing. Right. Or having chronic constipation where you're mm-hmm. pooping once a week 
There are people who poop once a week and think that that's okay. It's not okay. So that's actually dangerous, you guys. If you're pooping once a week, please talk to us um, because that needs to be handled. So, But here's here's another, sorry, mm -hmm. another set of hidden symptoms that you would probably never even realize without doing testing. And the reason why I know about this is because we do a lot of testing with people. Mm -hmm. You can have some serious malabsorption of nutrients Mm -hmm. due to your digestive issues, even if you're not having symptoms. Exactly. And this will show up, especially with the B vitamins where Mm -hmm. they are just super depleted. And it's a lot of times because there's, there's not adequate breakdown of proteins in your stomach or you've got overgrowth in your intestines so you can't absorb it. Or you have inflammation in your intestines so you mm. can't absorb it or you have inflammation therefore your uh, your gut lining, the brush border the, the lining is called the brush border and that brush border releases enzymes that break down food or it releases enzymes that cause other enzymes to release. So if your gut lining is inflamed or irritated, you are not releasing enzymes to break down your food, basically. Yep. Here's so, another one. Yeah, go. <laughs> well, just keep going. I need more. So, so about a year and a couple of months ago, I had my last scan, CT scan of my abdomen looking for potential cancer. Mm-hmm. And they also looked down in my pelvic region because that's obviously where the cancer started. And there was no cancer. Yay. Mm-hmm. But what they did report that no one mentioned to me, I just had to read the report to find out, severe diverticulitis. You do? I did. You did? Yeah. I had no idea. This it, is my first time hearing the, this. The, the the lab technician or the lab reviewer, I don't know what they call him, that, that looked over the scan showed, said, and marked in the report, there's, I, I think it was extensive diverticulosis, and I can never remember the difference between diverticulosis and diverticulitis, mm-hmm. but it was showing up in there. And, and at the time I had thought, my diet is so awesome. Why is this happening? Mm-hmm. Um, we can get into the reasons of that. We're not going to, but the point is that that was happening without any of my knowledge. Right. And so chances are that if I'm in this boat, that I'm not the only one. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of people out there dealing with this. And by the way, this situation can lead to really severe illnesses like yep. cancer. So exactly. Anyway, okay. now, now we can go on. <laughs> so, well, people are sitting here listening and they're like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. Why are we here? Let's talk about that. The why, because it's ginormous. It's humongous. I can't even put a number on it. That's how big it is. How did we get here, babe? So I think it could go back even farther than this, but one of the big factors was actually the advent of uh, grain farming. Mm-hmm. If we want to go back to one of the original sources, Let's do it. because at that point we started consuming a lot more grains mm-hmm. as a species than mm-hmm. we ever had prior to that. Ever. By the way, we're talking hundreds of thousands of years. And now just a few hundred years prior to now, we're now grain farming and eating a lot of it. Yeah. In fact, to the point where today for a lot of people in America, grains are like the big thing they eat on mm-hmm. a daily basis it's between like the chips staple. and the sandwiches and the crackers mm-hmm. and the pasta, all the pasta. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are endless ways that you can turn grains into delicious cereals, food. cereal that are now fortified. Let's not talk about fortification no, of food no, because that's, that's another yeah, that's podcast for another thing. day. So, so this is not to say that grains are the source of all of our problems, mm-hmm. but that advent of farming where we were suddenly able to mass produce these grains. Mm-hmm. And then as we got better and better at turning them into digestible foods or at least yep. somewhat digestible foods, they started increasing in frequency in our meals. Mm-hmm. And uh, that has gotten to us to a point today where it's not just the fact that they're grains, it's how they're making the grains yep. that is hugely problematic. Huge. Let's talk about glyphosate. Should we talk about glyphosate? Let's go into it. So glyphosate is this herbicide, Mm -hmm. basically. It it kills off bad stuff like weeds, Mm -hmm. but it also kills off good stuff Mm -hmm. like wheat. It also acts like an antibiotic. Right. So so it helps keep the food supply clean, mm -hmm. which is an issue today because we are 
transporting food long distances and storing it for long periods of time before it's actually con- uh, ingested. Right. And this didn't used to happen, right? People used to grow their own and then harvest it, prepare and, eat it. and eat it almost mm-hmm. immediately. They didn't have to deal with these issues. Now we've got glyphosate, which is so fantastic because not only does it keep the food supply clean and um, bug free, so to speak, but then they use it to dry out the mm-hmm. grains for processing. Yep. So they will drench the the wheat fields and the grain fields in glyphosate and then harvest it because it acts as a desiccant. So and that's then, fun. And then it eventually makes its way into our bodies. Mm-hmm. Now, there is debate about how dangerous glyphosate is for you. And there are people out there, maybe even listening to this right now, who are wanting to punch us in the face for talking <laughs> about this and thinking we're so ignorant because we're sending out bad bad information about glyphosate. Here's the deal though. We know how glyphosate works to some extent, mm-hmm. right? We know that it can disrupt some amino acids in our body, mm-hmm. displace those amino acids, so yep. to speak, right? Violently. Violently. Mm-hmm. Because and that's what it does to the weeds, guys. That's what it like. That's how it works. That's how it works. It literally strips the weeds of minerals, strips them dry to the point that they're dying. And to address the other complaint about this topic is that, well, it's a matter of how much you get, right? And you're getting such small amounts that it's not affecting you. How do we know that? Right. Has there ever been research done to show whether we're mm-hmm. getting a tiny, tiny micro amount or is it tons and tons? Has the FDA always been 100% like true to their word about everything being safe? Yeah, no, no, no. no. So why are we going to trust them in this area right now when we are having this massive epidemic of digestive issues and no one's giving us answers? So what, what research has shown is that there is glyphosate in pretty much everything Mm -hmm. grain related, Mm -hmm. including oatmeal Mm -hmm. guys, including, and now this is where it starts baby cereal. Like we are giving our little like eight month old, nine month old, 10 month old babies, these little puff cereals and they're chewing on it and it's, and they're eating it. And that's where it starts. So basically what we're doing is this mass societal experiment on ourselves to see what happens when you expose yourself to a Mm -hmm. chemical like glyphosate over a lifetime. Exactly. And that's a really hard thing to study scientifically. And track. Which is why there are not conclusive studies showing that, oh, glyphosate does this to people. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be the guinea pig though? No, thanks. When we know enough about how it functions on a biological level Mm -hmm. to say that, yeah, that would be bad in large quantities inside of our bodies. Mm -hmm. Do you want to be one to say, eh, forget it. They haven't shown definitively that it's bad. So I'm just going to have all the, all the glyphosate. I'm not going to give up any of this stuff. Mm -hmm. Come on. I mean, come on. Right. And glyphosate isn't the only problem. Like there's other sprays too that they put on these, uh, these crops and these fields and these fruits and vegetables that are equally as detrimental, if not more so, but we just know there's so much to glyphosate and the issue with glyphosate too. And some of these other sprays, they're water soluble guys. What does that mean? When we spray these on our fields and it rains, that glyphosate gets into our water system. It gets into our rivers. It gets into our oceans. It gets into our clouds, which then turn into rain. And then it rains down on us. So we are getting issues now like acid rain. That is why a lot of organic farms are now being contaminated. And they're recognizing that there is glyphosate in these organic farms, even though these organic farms are not spraying with glyphosate. And it's not just like incre- like teeny tiny minuscule like parts per million. We're talking about um, these organic farms exceeding what is considered healthy and organic. And so they are failing by default because of this mass production of glyphosate that is now in our water and in our soil and in our rain and now coming down on us again. I can't verify this, but I read recently that glyphosate is now considered acceptable for an organic certification. Oh, great. Um, I, I need to go, I need to go and check that out. But if that's true, then I mean, oh. just another nail in the coffin for organic as right. being enough. Right. Right. Um, but, but it doesn't stop at glyphosate, mm-hmm. right? Even without that, these grains can be very problematic because mm-hmm. as they are processed and as they come to us and get consumed, they are very easy carbs, mm-hmm. right? They are highly refined and highly available as basically sugar for mm-hmm. our bodies. Mm-hmm. And maybe now is a good time to talk about 
why sugar is bad for digestion. We know it's bad for everything, but why specifically is sugar a problem for digestion? Well, sugar is very inflammatory. That's why it stimulates an immune response and it creates all kinds of, like if you have an already heightened immune system, this is just going to aggravate it. But not only that, this processed sugar or this high carby, starchy sugar is feeding bad bacteria. So in your gut biome, you have good bacteria and bad bacteria that are constantly coexisting. Uh, You always want the good bacteria to be in high ratio over the bad bacteria. But the bad bacteria will proliferate and be kind of the, the the king of the castle if you feed it. And what feeds it? It's the sugar, it's the processed foods, it's the refined grains, it's all of these things. So when you feed that bad bacteria, you have immune dysregulation, you have immune dysfunction. And what happens is then the immune system stops being smart and it starts attacking everything. And that's how we get immune dysfunction. Now, I quickly want to go back to the glyphosate because we never spoke about what the glyphosate actually does in the body. But if glyphosate is so inflammatory and it breaks down amino acids, I mean, you guys, amino acids are the building blocks to everything in your body, right? They create tissues and cells and organelles and all of that. Like you need amino acids for everything. If we're ingesting glyphosate that literally strips us of these amino acids, that glyphosate is entering your GI tract and it's stripping everything. That would be like looking at a brand new house and taking a jackhammer and going at it on all the walls right? What's going to happen to that house over time? If you hire contractors, you're like, this is fine. I'm going to hire a contractor to fix all these holes. And then you fix the holes and that jackhammer comes back and it's making more holes. And the contractors can't fix those holes fast enough. And it's trying, but now you have this house that has millions of holes and it's getting destroyed completely. That's what glyphosate does. It's like a jackhammer to the walls of your intestine. Not only that, but it's destroying the healthy gut bacteria. So going back to sugar, now we have glyphosate. Now we have um, sugar feeding the bad bacteria creating gut dysbiosis. Now we have immune dysregulation because the good bacteria is not doing its job anymore. It's not creating the chemicals it's supposed to, to help regulate the white blood cells. We have dysfunction. We, it's like having an orchestra play music with no conductor. To make things even worse, sugar feeds candida. Candida. Yes. And that once again, puts even more strain on your immune system Mm -hmm. because it's now having to deal with a a fungal overgrowth Mm -hmm. essentially, and it can't keep up with everything. Yep. So this is what candida is. Okay. Going back to our, our analogy of the house, right? Okay. You have this guy with the jackhammer, which is glyphosate and sugar creating all kinds of holes. Now pretend a frat house came and set up shop in your home and destroyed it with like dirty clothes and beer bottles. Like that's what candida is. It's a, it's a yeast, it's a fungus that sets up shop and doesn't add anything to your health. It just takes, takes, takes. And then these guys team up with each other mm-hmm. and, and all these, you know, bacteria, yeast, those sort of things, they, they create a biofilm, which is kind of like a protein blanket around themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's always there. It's not normally a problem, but when you get this dysbiosis situation, this uh, protein blanket gets really strong and it basically becomes a protective layer around Mm -hmm. all of these little micro baddies. Mm -hmm. And that means that your immune system has that much harder of a time doing its job. And accessing those baddies basically. Exactly. So, Mm -hmm. so they've basically set up a fortress right in the middle of your headquarters Mm -hmm. and they are destroying everything and you are defenseless against them because you don't have the tools to break through their fortress walls. Exactly. So now what? (laughs) There's more, right? (laughs) So, so, okay. So we've spoken about the issues. Where do we see this in our lives? Um, You guys, the more I study digestion, the more I study the human body, the more I recognize how our bodies were never designed to take in as much carbs and sugar as we do today. They were not. As soon as we eat tons of glucose, tons of um, 
refined carbs, tons of carbs in general. Which which um, are basically glucose because mm-hmm. your body can convert them so readily. And and then there's fructose too, which is a whole different ballgame. But yep. as soon as we ingest this, our insulin spikes. And you guys, as soon as we start getting insulin spikes, we start getting disease. And it's not like, and that's a long-term thing, right? It's not mm-hmm. like, hey, I had an insulin spike one day and now I have disease. No, it's this chronic insulin spiking over years and years. And that's what leads to disease. In that's- fact, I, I can actually see that on the blood chem analyses. I can tell you approximately where your body is on the spectrum of insulin resistance mm-hmm. based on just a few markers, yep. like your blood sugar, fasting blood sugar, your fasting insulin, and your what's called A1C, which mm-hmm. is a, a three-month average of your blood sugar. Yep. And, and I can tell you, almost exactly what's happening. And Mm -hmm. I, and I can tell you right now that it is almost universal Mm -hmm. unless you've been eating a really solid diet for quite a while. It is almost inevitable that there is some level of basically carb overload in your system, Mm -hmm. which means sugar overload and some level of insulin heightenedness. What's the word for that? High insulin. Mm -hmm. basically. And it's not necessarily to insulin resistance at that point, but that's the direction it's going. Exactly. And in the long term, that's exactly where it's headed. So we've spoken a little bit about how the dysfunction starts and it starts early from feeding young kids, these rice cereals that have the glyphosate that are eating carby foods. Oh, um, and, and there's actually more to it. Mm-hmm. it. It gets to the gut or the stomach specifically. So all these carbs mm-hmm. have an alkalizing effect in the stomach mm-hmm. and the stomach needs to be acidic. acidic. The stomach likes to be at like, what, what is it? One to two as a pH? I think two pH or something. Yeah, really, super really acidic. Mm-hmm. And then once it gets into the intestines, it can get a little bit more alkaline than that, but, mm-hmm. or neutral is probably a better word, but the stomach needs to be acidic Extremely and acidic. all these carbs, they alkalize the stomach and you're probably out there going, wait, I thought we wanted to be alkaline. No, not when it comes <laughs> that's, to your that's not how it works. Mm-hmm. pH varies throughout the body, exactly. but the stomach needs to be acidic because that's how it breaks down, especially proteins and fats, but also carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. So if it can't break those things down, then that means they're not getting digested. They're sitting there as food, mm-hmm. which is then going into your intestines and it's still food, but it's food for all those same baddies. Well, we'll come back to that. We'll sor- we'll circle around. You want to come back to that? Yes, oh, I yeah. do. Because I really want people to understand how the heck they got here. Like how, like, why are you in your twenties and you have digestive issues or in your thirties or Mm -hmm. your forties and you can't digest anything and it hurts. So going back to kids being fed cereals, when did they learn to eat vegetables that heal vegetables that are not inflammatory? When did they learn to eat good proteins and fats? Like it doesn't happen. Kids these days are living off of chicken nuggets, which is just fried um, protein and also um, flowers and chicken substance. and then, and, ch- and some <laughs> kind of chicken substance, which is loaded with you guys, hormones, which also disrupts gut biome. You put any hormone in your gut and it's going to throw off your gut biome and cause autoimmune issues. So, and even if it wasn't the hormones, it's, it's not the best parts of the chicken, right? right? It's the, the white meat, which is like the least nutrient dense of all the mm-hmm. meats in the chicken. But but think about what our children are eating today. They're eating chips out of packets, which is processed flours and, you know, trans fats, which are inflammatory. So inflammatory flour and carbs, inflammatory trans fats. Okay. Chicken nuggets. We already spoke inflammatory um, outer shell, the, the bready stuff. Right, Basically bread mm-hmm. cooked in some kind of canola mm-hmm. oil. Let's look at fries, which are cooked in some kind of canola oil, which is a trans fat and it is very inflammatory. So it, it, again, when I say inflammation, think of that jackhammer going to going at it at the walls of your house and just creating all these holes. But the jackhammer is also a blowtorch. Mm-hmm. So the walls are on fire. The walls are on fire. There you go. And um, let's think about what other things kids eat. Lots of sugar, lots of soda. Guys, why are we? And, and I want to bring to people's attention fruit juices. You guys, fruit juice is not fruit. It's sugar. It's pure sugar. So now we have these blow torches on the wall and you just took a bucket of gasoline and threw it on top of the blow torch and the wall and everything is just blowing up now. <laughs> everything is burning down to the ground. Do you see how we're creating this beautiful, massive destruction on your stomach and you didn't even 
know about it. Let's go to teenagers. What are they eating? They're eating pizza. They're eating hamburgers, which is bread, bread, and trans fats. Um, there's nothing sustainable in there. Uh, when Now, we have this beautiful visual of all these holes being created by jackhammers and flamethrowers and gasoline. Um, where are the contractors? Where are they coming in to repair the holes? Because contractors in real life are your vegetables. They are your healthy proteins and your healthy fats. Um, how many kids do you see out there like gnawing on a bag of like freeze dried vegetables or something? How many parents out there have completely given up on even trying to feed their children vegetables? Mm-hmm. And they basically say, you know what? It's just not going to happen mm-hmm. maybe when they're older. And, right? and we think a healthy snack is like a sippy pouch of applesauce, you guys. And I don't like, again, this episode right now is to not shame anyone, but to bring the to light the destruction we have all been under because we didn't know better. Right. This the, is a societal issue mm-hmm. that, that no one has been educated on this for so long that we don't even know. We think that what we're doing is healthy. Mm-hmm. We think that by eating the vegetable oils and having all the fruit and the fruit juices and eating all of the different multi-grain breads. Mm -hmm. That's the healthy stuff, right? Right. No, it's not. So, and we'll go into the multi-grain breads, but, and who can digest that kind of stuff because there are people that can do fine with the organic multi-grain breads, but the majority of us cannot because going back to that visual of the house on fire and with the holes, can that kind of house sustain stress? It cannot. So when you are eating a food that is potentially stressful, like whole grain organic bread, how do you think your GI tract with all those holes and all that inflammation is going to respond to that organic piece of bread that was used with like some sourdough starter? How do you think it's going to do? Not so Not super awesome. No. Because what you're trying to do right now is you're trying to just eat food food as fuel, but we need to start thinking differently and going back to the contractors. And we need to start looking at food as a healing tool. So what foods create the least amount of inflammation? What foods will help your, your house slash your intestines heal and repair fast and furiously? Because you're probably listening to us right now and you're in your twenties or your thirties or your forties, maybe your fifties. Um, and you have been dealing with this, um, this onslaught to your GI tract for literally decades, decades, you guys, because no one knew better, right? Right. No one taught you better. We didn't learn about this in school. Your parents didn't know about this. And here's the thing, your parents, your grandparents, so your parents' parents, they didn't know any better because there was nothing else. There there wasn't these processed foods. At this point, it might be your parents' parents' parents even. Mm -hmm for some of the younger people. Right. But, but there was a generation out there where whole foods, mm-hmm. homemade were like only the only thing you can mm-hmm. eat. And they were in season, mm-hmm. you know, and they, they ate from what you like to call snout to tail. So they ate the meat and they ate the organs, which is super high in nutrition. Um, they ate lots of vegetables. They did lots of beans because their guts weren't on fire. So they could actually metabolize the beans and the lectins in the beans. And, and so the advantage they had, in addition to only having access to these good foods, was that they had the same kind of genetic mindset that we do, which is food for fuel, mm-hmm. right? That's genetically, I should say, evolutionarily speaking, we are designed to look for fuel first. That's, yep. that's how our brains think about stuff. Mm-hmm. And it worked great when food wasn't overabundant. Mm-hmm. But if you're listening to this podcast, there is not a chance that you struggle finding enough calories, mm-hmm. right? You have the opposite problem now, which is that now you have to balance out all these different calories with the nutrient density that your body is really looking for now. Exactly. Because and your grandparents didn't have that. Mm-mm. Your parents did have that and you were raised in that. Mm-hmm. And our kids now are getting hardly any of it. Right. Hardly like, I think our kids are living off of, like I said, chicken nuggets and fries and burgers mm-hmm. and chips and maybe salsa. So that's nice. You know, corn chips, cheese mm-hmm. sticks, you know? So, um, so you guys, do you see how we are having this, this, this massive 
problem, like this epidemic of digestive distress. Can I add one more factor Please to this do. big mess? Please do. It's, it's the stress factor, mm. right? We are chronically stressed out mm. and we are chronically stressed about our food mm-hmm. because we know, we know it's not the best food, but we don't necessarily feel empowered to do anything about it. Mm-hmm. And how many people these days sit down, take their time and enjoy their meals? I know I don't. I don't. <laughs> I don't. We eat on the go. Mm -hmm. We eat on our feet Mm -hmm. and our bodies don't know how to handle that because that's not normal. That's not something that we've done throughout history, but we're doing it now. Mm -hmm. Right. And and we'll talk about how that plays into the whole thing, but it's a really important factor. Exactly. So you guys, we're, we're stress eating and we're eating food that creates more stress in our bodies. We're eating food that's destroying our gut biome and our gut biome is so crucial to immune function and to digesting certain foods and metabolizing certain vitamins and minerals. So we are creating distress to the gut biome. And then as you guys have heard us talk for the past 30 minutes, we are destroying our gut lining with these foods that is literally like sandpaper on our intestines. Sandpaper, you guys. Um, This is not a healing lifestyle. This is one of fire and brimstone and we're feeling it. And that's why you're gassy. That's why you're distended. That's why it hurts to digest. That's why you have heartburn because there is this constant breakdown of your organs. And now you're thinking, why did my doctor never tell me that? or ever tell me that. And it's because they just don't know. And that's okay. Like, that's why you're here. (laughs) They didn't learn about nutrition. They didn't learn about this process that happens. They didn't learn about, um, I mean, we've had doctors come up to us that say they got zero nutritional training, zero, because they're so enmeshed in learning and memorizing medicine and medical protocols. And that's their job. And that's fine. We have had doctors who said, oh yeah, I think we got some of that, but I don't remember anything. I don't remember anything. I have no recollection of any of it. So Exactly. So, okay. Um, Hopefully we have painted a clear enough picture as to why you're here. So where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? Maybe we start at the top of the digestive tract and work our way down. All right. So you guys, let's talk about how digestion works. We're going to, let's introduce to you the organs, the big players. So you have your mouth, obviously. Food goes from your mouth down your tube called the esophagus into your stomach. Okay. Stomach is going to be huge. We're going to talk about this a lot, but next food goes from your stomach into your small intestine. Now there is, everybody knows this, your gallbladder that meets the food or the, the food that comes from your stomach into your small intestine is called chyme. So we're going to use that word chyme. So the food, the chyme that goes from your stomach into your small intestine is met by the gallbladder. The gallbladder excretes bile. Okay. And then from there it goes, keeps going down your small intestine where the pancreas creates enzymes and releases enzymes to break them down. So let's review all of that again. So stomach, gallbladder. I mean, we'll talk about liver a little bit. We need to talk about mouth. So mouth, stomach, Stomach, uh, gallbladder, gallbladder, um, pancreas, and then we'll talk about liver a little bit. Okay. Okay. Let's talk a, let's start at, do you want to start the mouth or do you want to start the stomach? Let's, let's do mouth because that's really the first thing. Okay. We have enzymes in our saliva Mm -hmm. that start the digestive process. Mm -hmm. And as far as I recall, they are particularly important for carbohydrate digestion. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And in order for that process to work properly, a couple of things need to happen. For one, the saliva needs to be there. Mm-hmm. which is why preparing food can be so beneficial to your digestion yep. because that gets those salivary glands going. activated. Uh-huh. It says, Oh, we're going to be eating soon. Let's, mm-hmm. let's get ready. On top of that, uh, we need to make sure we're chewing enough. Yep. And this is one I'm terrible at. Mm-hmm. I don't do it very well at all, <laughs> but, but the longer that that food is in our mouths, the longer that it's exposed to those salivary enzymes, mm-hmm. especially those carbs. And so it can get broken down more. Yep. When we skip that process, we're automatically at a disadvantage mm-hmm. before we've even really begun the digestive process. We're behind. Yeah. So that's why we've got to slow it down. Yep. Also, one more thing that doesn't happen enough with the mouth, 
we don't do enough bitters in our diet anymore. Yeah, we don't. Bitters used to be a more common part of the human diet. Mm -hmm. Now it doesn't happen. Why are bitters important? They do two really big things that I'm recalling right now. One of them is they really get you salivating. I don't know if you've ever sucked on like a a bitter tablet or something. Mm -hmm. It gets those salivary glands going full speed. The other thing it does is it starts to activate some of those lower organs, the gallbladder Mm -hmm. and the liver to excrete their stuff because they're saying, oh, we've got food coming in. Mm -hmm. Let's get ready. Yep. It's very stimulating. So chew your food really well, chew slowly, enjoy it. And then it goes into the stomach. Now, you guys, we're going to spend a little bit of time here on the stomach because it is so important. Um, <laughs> I feel like we're going to spend the rest of our of this episode actually on um, hydrochloric acid. Okay, you guys. So there is this extremely important stu- substance in your stomach called hydrochloric acid. And when you do not have enough of it, hundreds of problems happen. Maybe like 20 or 35, maybe not hundreds, but uh, (laughs) they're pretty many problems that create many other problems. Okay. So you want to make sure you have enough hydrochloric acid. So if you're listening to this and you suspect you have hypochloridria and that is low stomach acid, go home and do this test. So you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and the first thing that's going to hit your stomach is half a cup of water and a quarter teaspoon of baking soda. Is that correct? Yes. Before you've had anything Anything. to drink. Don't Don't even drink drink water. water. Don't do it. Just do that that Mm -hmm. quarter teaspoon of baking soda, four ounces of water. Exactly. Chug it down and start timing. Exactly. So what you're going to do is if you start burping within two to three minutes, you probably, and I don't want to say you will, but you probably have enough hydrochloric acid. If you're not burping after five minutes, you do not have enough hydrochloric acid. Okay. Mm Now, generally speaking, you'll want to run this test a few days because there could be anomalies Mm -hmm. that throw off a single test. Yeah. Especially if you fall in that, well, I burped at three and a half minutes. What does that mean? Right. Do it a few days. Mm -hmm. And then you can kind of assess from there. Does it seem like it's low? Does it seem like it's not? If you're still not sure, then the next best thing you can do is just try it. Yeah. Try some hydrochloric acid. Try some hydrochloric acid. So you guys, a lot of times when you are diagnosed with heartburn, what is actually happening um, is you don't have enough hydrochloric acid. This is how important hydrochloric acid is and having enough of it. Um, because when you when you have hypochloridria, there are a lot of mechanisms that do not turn on. And we're going to talk about that. Um, so you eat food. And it goes down your esophagus into your stomach. Um, Now, when you are masticating that food or when you're, sorry, not masticating that food, when you're digesting that food, but you don't have enough hydrochloric acid, remember you need enough hydrochloric acid and enough acidity to trigger a valve to close. And that is your lower esophageal sphincter. And that is the connection between your stomach and your esophagus, okay? When that isn't triggered to close, it stays, and remember what triggers it to close is a lot of hydrochloric acid. So that sphincter is going to stay open and that food that's in your stomach is going to slosh around and it's going to go up that esophagus, causing that sensation of heartburn. So all you need to do is increase your hydrochloric acid. That sphincter will then be triggered to close and then you no longer have that sloshing of hydrochloric acid. Now, that happens on the other end of the stomach as well. What is that sphincter called? So it's the pyloric sphincter Mm -hmm. or the pyloric valve. And its job is to let food out of the stomach. At this point, it's chyme, Mm -hmm. right? Out of the stomach and into the small intestine. Yep. And it also requires a minimum amount of acidity Mm -hmm. in order to open up. If it doesn't get enough acidity because there's not enough hydrochloric acid or there's too much alkaline product in there, Mm -hmm. that means it's going to stay closed, which means that food sits in the stomach. Mm -hmm. And by the way, without that stomach acidity, that food isn't actually chyme even. It's just undigested food. Exactly. And what does it do when it sits? it festers, mm-hmm. right? The fats go rancid. The proteins get all disgusting. The carbs literally ferment in your stomach. Mm-hmm. And all of this going on creates gases. Mm-hmm. And those gases rise and they go right through that LES sphincter mm-hmm. into your esophagus, causing even more heartburn. Yep. So you've got all this stuff working against you. And here's the absolute worst part of this whole situation. You get heartburn, you go to your doctor and what do they do? 
They decrease your hydrochloric acid. They give you a proton pump inhibitor or Mm -hmm. some kind of acid blocker Mm -hmm. that makes the situation even worse. Yep. But the issue though, is that it does resolve the heartburn symptom Mm -hmm. because you've neutralized all of those acids. So when they're splashing up, they're basically just neutral liquid at this point. Yep. Um, you're reducing any issues that come with the gas production that's going up, mm-hmm. but you are not solving the underlying problem, which is the undigested food yep. that will eventually make its way into your small intestine. But guess what? It's not going to get absorbed because nope. that food, like especially like B vitamins, for instance, they're attached to amino acids. That's right. And if those amino acids are not breaking down because of that hydrochloric acid, you're not absorbing anything. You're basically having food go straight through you. And it's not efficient. Like it's not small enough. It hasn't been broken down enough. So your body can't use it, but Mm -mm. guess what can use it? Bad bacteria. Yep. So So you're feeding bad bacteria mm -hmm. in mass. You're basically giving them steroids. You basically, you guys, if you are doing the gut healing protocol, we are actually going to do a separate class going into great depth and detail on all of these digestive uh, processes. Um, We're going to talk more about the other mechanisms of having enough hydrochloric acid because having enough hydrochloric acid triggers a bunch of processes. One is a robust release of bile. So all of you people that have had your gallbladders taken out, maybe it was because you didn't have enough hydrochloric acid that triggered your bile or your gallbladder to contract properly. Maybe you weren't eating enough fats that triggers that, that gallbladder to contract properly. So what happens with stagnant muscles when they just sit there and they have substances stuck in there, they harden. Mm. They, then the bile salts start to crystallize and then they start aching, right? When you have a sore muscle, a stiff muscle in your back, it hurts, right? You need a massage therapist. You need something to work that out. Now, no one's going to get into your abdomen and start massaging your gallbladder because that's just going to be painful. But that's what the robust release of a hormone is. And that hormone is called secretin. That is what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to release or cause that gallbladder to contract. So if you're doing our um, gut healing protocol and uh, you've purchased that, you're going to get an incredible class, like a PowerPoint presentation on all of these mechanisms. So you can become an expert at, as to what is happening in your digestion and where your breakdown might be. Because um, trust me, it can be in a lot of places. Digestion is not hard. It's complex. And so if we can help teach you the complexity of it, then you can figure out what little tweak you need to make so that it is working fluidly and beautifully. But you guys, I can't stress enough how having enough hydrochloric acid is so important. Think of a domino effect. If you don't push over that first domino, nothing is being pushed down. Nothing's being turned on. Nothing is happening. And how many of us are eating food with nothing happening and that food then marinates and feeds that bad bacteria? Right. There's a saying I love. It's actually a book title. It's health is simple. Mm-hmm. Disease is complex. Yes. Right. And and so for the rest of you that are not doing the program at this point, we're not purposely withholding information from you. It's just that the amount of time that we would need to go through all of the possibilities and all of the remedies would take us hours, mm-hmm. right? We don't have time in this one hour podcast episode to cover all of it. Mm-hmm. So just know though, that that's kind of, you've got the intro to that part yes. and you know that there is more information there. And that can be where you start your Mm -hmm. research if that's what you want to do. So if you are doing, and a lot of you listeners are actually going to be doing our gut healing protocol because um, you are, as you sign up, this is going to be sent to you to listen to first. So when you have signed up, you need to schedule a time to chat with Tristan and I that's included in your gut healing protocol. And we're going to go over all of these breakdowns and really help pinpoint what enzymes you need to take, what digestive aids you need to take according to your symptoms and according to the testing that you're going to be doing. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, because again, it is that domino effect. We need to see which dominoes are missing and put them back in there so we can have this beautiful domino cascade um, continuing on. All right. So make sure you are talking with us so we can get you on your digestive 
plan. All right. Because if you are not absorbing your food, you're not healing your gut. Mm-hmm. Okay. So now you guys are probably thinking, okay, Janique, you painted this beautiful picture of this house on fire, which is basically my intestines. How on earth am I supposed to heal that if I'm not absorbing my food? That's what the digestive aids are for you guys. Um, A lot of people will ask us, hey, what supplements should I take if I'm sick? We don't put you on supplements. We put you on digestive enzymes because Mm -hmm. your body, the best way you can absorb supplements or vitamins or minerals or amino acids is if you are having the organs working properly that were meant to do that intuitively, right? Like it's, there's no point in taking a synthetic when we could actually turn on the organs properly that are supposed to be doing that job and extracting those vitamins efficiently from your food. Right. And there, there's an even more foundational part of this though. And that's the foods that you're eating in the first place, mm-hmm. right? Because all yeah. these supplements that we're talking about or these, these digestive aids, they don't do you any good if you are continually fighting against them with the foods that you put in exactly. your body. So we've talked about the the terrible things that all these refined carbs, easy sugar does mm-hmm. to our bodies, but it's not just as simple as, oh, I'm going to cut those things out. Right. We've got to replace it with some really nutrient dense and mm-hmm. healing foods. And make sure that you're actually digesting them and it's not creating more mm-hmm. pain, right? Right. And that and that's why they have to happen in concert. Mm-hmm. We need to first make sure you're getting the right stuff into your system. Yep. And this, by the way, this is what I always tell people when I'm going over the blood chem analyses with them. Mm-hmm. There's three places where nutrient deficiency can take place, mm-hmm. at least three. The first is in the foods that you put into your mouth, right? Mm-hmm. If you're not getting good nutrients into your mouth, then it doesn't matter how well your body's working. Mm -hmm. It's it's gonna be deprived. The second is the breakdown of those foods. They need to be broken down. Otherwise they are inaccessible to Mm -hmm. the intestinal tract, which is where all that absorption takes place. And then the third place is the absorption in the intestinal tract. So Mm -hmm. even if we are getting a really good chyme, we've broken down that food really well. If there are problems in the intestines and the intestinal wall doesn't have access to those nutrients, it, it's not healing. It might as well not be there. Mm-hmm. It's like hiring the contractors to go in and fix your house, but they're not allowed to enter the house. Right. You know, so we need to utilize digestive enzymes so that they can actually enter the house and start fixing things. You know, exactly. they, they're allowed to take their materials in and heal and repair. So you guys, two big things when it comes to healing your gut, get rid, well, three, get rid of the inflammatory foods, mm-hmm. Increase your nutrient-dense foods, your healing foods, and make sure you are putting back those digestive processes that have broken down over these probably several decades, many, many years. And we, we do that through the utilization of effective digestive enzymes. I do want to emphasize that because I have so many people messaging me and they're like, I'm using this digestive enzyme and I'm still having digestive issues. And I kind of have to throw my hands up in the air and be like, I'm sorry, I can't help you because I don't know that company and Mm -hmm. I don't know that product. But what I do know is 90%, well, not 90%, but a good amount of companies will add a lot of fillers to Mm -hmm. their supplements and to their product. And, um, and they don't have to disclose that to you. So I don't know what it is you're ingesting, but I do know that the companies that we recommend, we trust and we see it working Mm -hmm. efficiently. We see it working well. Right. It's that combination of research and clinical experience that we Mm -hmm. always talk about. You need both of them to be there at least enough research to make it plausible. But then the clinical experience where it over and over again proves itself that's the, the the key right there. Exactly. So we we love the stuff that we use. That doesn't mean there's nothing else out there that That's works. Right. But it means that you're on your own. You're going to have to do the research and you're going to have to basically test it out and see how it works for you. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, if it doesn't work for you, that doesn't mean that the process is broken. Yes. That just might mean that your product isn't potent enough. Exactly. It could be either or. You know, so many of you guys who are going to be doing the gut healing protocol, um, you guys, that's what this, this initial coaching call is for is to figure out those enzymes and then to kind of play around and see, are they sticking? Are they working? What do we need to tweak? How often do we need to tweak it? And we hope you figure that out Mm -hmm. throughout this three week process. Okay. So we're not just going to leave you high and dry. It's really important that you are feeling comfortable with your enzymes 
and that you are utilizing them and you're understanding the side effects or the effects that are happening when you are taking them. So um, let's talk a little bit about the gut healing protocol. So it's going to utilize, like I said, the digestive enzymes, and it's going to be a three week program Mm -hmm. of um, gut healing foods, non-inflammatory foods. Um, do we want to talk about the kinds of foods that we're going to be putting in there? Well, first, one of the first things we've got to do is a little bit of sleuthing to figure mm-hmm. out where the issues might be, right? Mm-hmm. The, the most obvious one is maybe you need to make some adjustments to your food. Yeah. But uh, we also talked about the the second step, which would be checking your upper digestion through the baking soda test and most likely also by testing out the hydrochloric acid, yeah. which is basically the process of making sure that you've got an adequate stomach acidity. Mm-hmm. And along with that, maybe looking into whether you need more bile support, right? Whether you need more enzymatic support from the the pancreatic enzymes, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then also looking at potential issues in the lower digestion, which is the the small intestine primarily, also the large intestine to some degree. Yeah. And, um, and, and then once we've kind of got an idea of what's going on there and made sure that we've covered all three of those, that's when we can kind of dive into the actual protocol. Yeah which I don't know how much detail do we want to go into on that one right now? I don't know. Maybe we can say that for, I, I think because it's so complex, yeah. I mean, with, with SIBO alone, there mm-hmm. are like five different pathways that we could go down yeah. depending on whether it's, you know, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or small intestinal fungal overgrowth or mm-hmm. lower intestinal, large intestinal bacterial overgrowth. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. There's also parasite issues and other stealth pathogens. And mm-hmm. so it can get complex. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I think the important thing is that there's, there's, I would say, three parts to this. The yes. first is figuring out where things might need to be adjusted. Mm-hmm. Second is implementing those. And then third is optimizing. Yes. Because we're going to have to continually assess and make adjustments Yes. And I, and I think let's talk about that because many of you are going to be doing this protocol and, um, this is just going to be the beginning of the road for you. Um, because think about it, several years of digestive abuse to your stomach without knowing is not going to take three weeks to completely heal. In fact, we can't even have a brand new red blood cell be restored in three weeks. It normally takes three months before a red Mm. blood cell needs to be replaced and restored. So when we're talking about cell turnover, yes, the GI tract is a lot faster. It takes three days for the GI tract to kind of heal and repair itself. But you also have to look at the underlying factor of the inflammation and the autoimmune aspects. And I'm not saying if you have a a GI tract issue, you have an autoimmune issue, but you might have some inflammatory markers that are mimicking an autoimmune issue. So immune system dysfunction and dysregulation can sometimes take months. So what does that mean for you? And the many listeners out there listening, when you embark on a GI repair protocol, there are going to be many of you that are going to get instant relief and you're going to feel like a million bucks after three months. And then there's going to be a few of you that get relief but not what you were expecting. Like it's going to take a little bit longer. So we want you to go in recognizing that if it, if you are one of those people and it's going to take longer and it's going to take some extra tweaking, that's okay. You have time. That's what we're here to help you with. We're going to help coach you through that and recognize what is happening because healing tissue can be fairly simple if all the right things are in place. If there's a lot of carnage, if there's a lot of dysbiosis, if there's a lot of bacterial overgrowth, we might have to completely remodel the house. So it might not just be like a bathroom repair, right? It might be a bathroom repair and a playroom repair and replacing like the West wall or something like that. So keep in mind the amount of carnage and then your timeline might be different to the person next to you, but be patient with your body. Recognize that it was 100% designed to heal and repair when you put the right building blocks in place. Mm -hmm. So the point of this gut healing protocol, the point of any kind of gut healing protocol is to get you on the right path. It's not to replace your house in three weeks. It's to 
laid the foundation so that the house can continue to be built. Right. And the other piece is also avoiding the the wolves, I guess, that would take advantage of the situation. Now, we've talked about the one half of that, which is you go to a doctor, they put you on a, a proton pump inhibitor and then send you on your way and say, okay, your digestion's fixed now. Mm-hmm. Right. That don't, don't fall into that trap because mm-hmm. that will not give you solutions. It will not solve the underlying issues and it will guarantee down the line, create so many problems for you mm-hmm. and make you dependent on medication in the future. Yes. That's not a good idea. On the other side though, there are the wolves on the kind of the natural alternative health side that want you to spend $4,000 in testing before they even do anything. And, and then 4,000 on supplements. And that's not even getting to the treatment costs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But cause you've got some really fancy tests out there, like the organic acids test, which looks at your urine and, and it, shows you all the metabolites in there. Mm -hmm. And it can point to some of these different types of dysbiosis. There's also the GI map, which looks at your your fecal matter, your poop, Mm -hmm. and it can find stuff as well. But those tests are expensive. Mm -hmm. And some doctors charge double what they pay for it. And 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 they're not always necessary. Well and that's getting lost in the details, right? Absolutely. Like what this gut healing protocol is supposed to do is lay a foundation. Mm-hmm. And then once that foundation is done, then we get into the details. Then we start talking about which light fixtures do you want? What right. kind of doors do you want? What color painting do you want? Yeah. So we're where alternative doctors or doctors I feel like might go wrong in this space is they get lost in the details and no one talks about the fundamentals, the foundation, that that foundational practice of yeah. nutrition and reset and reboosting. We, we've had multiple people come to us who have spent thousands of dollars on all these big tests. And we asked them, well, what was the takeaway? Like, what did the doctor tell you about it? And they can't tell us. Mm-hmm. They don't know. They're like, well, they didn't really say anything. They said that I've got you know, it's a little high in this area. It's mm-hmm. like, well, what do you do about that? I don't know. I don't yep. know because they don't know. So mm-hmm. why are they doing all this testing if they don't even have a good way to use it? Right. Which is what we've tried to create, which is a system that is actually applicable, right? It's real world mm-hmm. usable so that you can heal yourself. Yes. We're not going to do crazy and expensive testing Mm-mm. unless we find out that nothing else seems to be working. Exactly. Right? That's an emergency measure for uh, way down the road. Mm-hmm. First, you've got to get the fundamentals in place. Right. And for a lot of people, that can be as simple as just making adjustments to your diet, especially if you're still in your 20s and you're just loaded with all these natural enzymes. Exactly. So you guys, I hope that gives you a foundation of why we have gut dysfunction, what you can, like where it potentially starts, all the building, like all the little domino effects that are inhibited from gut dysfunction. And then um, where to go from there and what a realistic gut healing protocol looks like, Mm -hmm. you know, like you might do this program or you might be considering this program and do it. And then all of your issues go away because you didn't realize you were allergic to wheat and sugar, or you might have something that's a little more complex because Mm -hmm. you've had probably several decades worth of inflammation and digestive distress. Well, even if it was originally just a a wheat and sugar issue, Mm -hmm. if it's been several years of that by Mm -hmm. now, it's going to be way more complicated. Getting exactly. rid of the gluten and the sugar is not going to solve those issues, even though that was where it started. Exactly. Right? So, so that is what this program is here for. It's, it's to give you a baseline. It's to give you the outline and then to help the, to have people coach you through it, mm-hmm. help you understand the symptoms of your body, help you understand why you're experiencing certain things when you take this or when you eat that, because sometimes that can be overwhelming and daunting. And so we want to help handhold you and help you understand what is happening in this space of healing, because it can be a little bit overwhelming. Don't, wouldn't you say? Oh, absolutely overwhelming. That being said though, not everyone can do the program right now. Not everyone is in a place where that's just a, a, a an ideal option for them. Mm-hmm. And if you find yourself in that, that doesn't mean you're helpless, right? It doesn't totally. mean you just have to suffer until your circumstances change. Right. You can make so many gains just by adjusting the foods you eat. Mm-hmm. Like I keep saying, just get those good fats in there, eat some really clean proteins, mm-hmm. stop, lots of veggies, stop eating all of the terrible refined carbs and added sugars and things. And then start looking into your upper digestion. Do you need extra hydrochloric acid? Maybe mm-hmm. you do. And just doing those couple of things can get you a long way towards where you're trying to go. 
Exactly. You guys, if you are doing our gut healing protocol, you have a few extra classes that you are going to have to listen to. Some talking about the types of food, uh, lectins, cooked versus raw. Um, Like, is it going to be autoimmune paleo or is it just going to be paleo? Um, There's going to be classes and they're going to most likely be PowerPoint classes that goes through all of that. We really encourage you to listen to those or watch them before you embark on your gut healing program because we want you to understand the in the ins and outs and the whys behind that. Okay. Um, anything else we need to tell listeners before we check out? I don't know. I feel like we should have talked more about poop, but poop. I know <laughs> another just, time, right? So much. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll include that in, in the classes. All right. That sounds good. Well, yeah, because I, there's I feel- a lot of people that deal with like, constipation and diarrhea. Mm. So we'll talk about poop in the classes, I think. Okay. And I'm sure it'll come up on one of our other podcasts another time. Yeah. Right. I'm sure. <laughs> it is a fun so topic. you guys, if you are interested, if you are not doing the protocol, but you're interested to do the gut healing protocol, um, that is actually this, this episode is going to be released after Thanksgiving, but mm. the protocol is going to be available to purchase after Thanksgiving. Um, where can they go to find that? Uh, how about we say gutsy.ch slash digestion. Digestion. Okay. That'll that'll get you where you need to go. Okay. Gutsy.ch slash digestion. You guys have a wonderful, wonderful week. And, um, please leave a review if you like what you listen to. That way other people who come across our podcast can see if we are fun or not. Um, and you're welcome to be honest. If you don't like us, you can say that too. Um, but leave us either, um, a rating or a typed out review. We love to see what you guys are saying. And we really appreciate those of you that have written something down. Um, that's, you guys are wonderful. Thanks for sharing. Thanks for always being so encouraging. And we will talk to you next week. See you next time. Bye.